Welcome to the Behind Their Business Podcast, the show that's peeling back the curtain and showing what's actually happening behind the scenes of running a business. I'm your host, Steph Blake, and each week you'll hear from women at all levels of business who are showcasing their stories of struggle and triumph as they juggle business ownership with day-to-day life. Join us to hear inspiring stories and strategies for starting and growing your own business. Hey everybody, Steph Blake here, and I am so glad that you are here for this week's episode. As usual, it is going to be amazing, so you are in for a treat. But before we dive into that episode, I want you to join our private and 100% free and supportive community for business owners to connect in called the Confident CEO Community. So if you have not joined us yet, here is your invitation to come and join us. Each week I also do a live training to share my best tips and tricks for scaling an online business the easy way. We talk about strategy, team building, mindset, tools, automation, and everything in between to help you confidently step into the CEO role in your business. So you can go to confidentceocommunity.com to join us today. And now let's dive in to this discussion with our incredible guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Behind Their Business podcast. If you are an avid listener or if it's your first time here, then welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. Our guest today is going to be talking about navigating the different stages of entrepreneurship. So starting a business, growing it, and then sustaining the success. And she also works with her husband. So she's going to be speaking to this. She's going to be sharing all of the nitty gritty details and all of the things that people likely aren't telling you about what it's actually like to run a business with their spouse or their partner. So this will be a really interesting perspective to hear and I'm excited for her to share it. And in her business, our guest is a business coach, an author, and a speaker who coaches entrepreneurs to get unstuck so that they can launch and grow an abundant business. So Please, please welcome to the Behind Their Business podcast, Liz Wolf. Liz, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I always love doing podcasts and I've really enjoyed listening to yours. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. So let's let's just dive right in. So let's talk mm-hmm. about what you do. I want to hear your perspective on it. And then I also want you to, if it's possible, to weave in what it's been like to work with your husband. So was he always working with you? Did you add him into your business in the past couple of years? Just give us all of the details. Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to start with uh, a, a crucial detail, which is that um, I grew up on a sheep farm. When I, when I was like five years old, my mother decided that she had had enough of city life. So she bought a farm and she started buying sheep. And we eventually created a whole cottage industry. I'm definitely giving you the short version here. And uh, I, we, we did the whole cottage industry of selling wool and um, lamb and went to festivals. And so I've been doing entrepreneurship since I was 10 years old. I did not know that that's what it was. I did not know that that was being an entrepreneur. I just knew that we needed to pay the mortgage and we needed to feed the sheep. And there was, uh, my mother was very creative. So I did leave the farm. I actually went to college in Connecticut. I ended up in New York City. And um, eventually, I'm again, giving you the shorter version of it. I, I, this was in the early nineties. So it was technology was really um, 
and especially CRM systems, customer relationship management software. It was a big boom for that in that industry at that time. And I had a skill that I still have of taking complicated information, sorting it out and making it simple for people so that they could learn it. And so I became a computer trainer and consultant and working with CRM software. So I've been helping small businesses to figure out systems that work for their business but mostly on the technology side in the early days for that we launched our business in 1996 and uh, at the time my husband was working he was selling he was uh, trading chemicals at a, a company and the weird thing about that company was he had a bonus system but the bonus system was you got told what your bonus was in december and he paid half of it in march and half in November. So you had to work a whole year to get the rest of your bonus, by which time he would tell you what your next bonus was. And this was this kind of cycle trap that my husband was in working for this company. And he was a very diligent salesperson and really working very hard. So he kept not wanting to walk away from that. Meanwhile, I was starting my own business. I was training, doing the CRM software. And I just said, one of these days, you're just going to have to walk away from that <clears throat> money, you know, like you've already, yes, you invested that, but you're just going to, you're going to have to give up that, you know, whatever it was, a few thousand dollars. And I convinced him to come and work with me in the business. We were working out of my apartment at the time. And the idea was that I would be the one to go and implement. He would be the one to sell, to be do the sales. So he had never had a thought of being an entrepreneur, whereas I had lived my whole life thinking about doing that. He had never really thought about it. So he was very, very nervous about it, but he just sat down and got to work and we've been working together ever since. That's such a fun story. Wow. And the, the sheep farm thing, that is very interesting. Does, Unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have that farm in your family? We do not. Uh, actually, that's, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me why it's important to me the work that I do now, which is more about coaching businesses and uh, entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs. And my mother never had anyone like me that was a business coach that could really help her with her business. She had a lot of amazing ideas. She was way ahead of her time as far as organic farming and doing things, you know, now you go to festivals and you see people doing. So she didn't have anybody like me. And eventually she declared bankruptcy and, oh, wow. and had to sell the farm. She, she ended up, her life was, it wasn't like she was financially devastated, but she ended up not being able to keep the farm. So it's no longer in our family. And uh, I actually don't even really like driving by it, to be honest, because it's changed so much. I mean, I have such a vivid memory of it because um, the people that bought it did with it what they wanted to. So, but I did buy a place in the country so that I could go and sit and I don't have any sheep. No, I don't want any sheep. But I do have a, a few acres in the country in the Catskills. So I, yeah. I can be in nature sometimes. That's great. Actually, my uncle, he lives in Brooklyn and he purchased a home in the Catskills as well. So I think he wanted to get out of the city every once in a while as well. So yeah. coincidence that you mentioned that because he just bought that home. But um, I know that you said that one of your biggest pet peeves with, I think, women specifically is that in the beginning stages of their business, they get really discouraged 
right? And they tend to want to just kind of give up. They think it's so much easier for everybody else and not them. So do you want to speak to that a little bit and maybe share some of your own struggles that you were going through when you started your business? I know you've been doing this for a while now, but if you can remember any specific examples, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. And you know, it's interesting because my mother was, uh, my, my parents divorced after a few three years. And so she was, we were Dolores Wolf and daughters, you know, everybody's like, you know, Bill Smith and sons. Well, we were Dolores Wolf and daughters because I have two sisters. And so she was an anomaly in this world of, she was a, a woman sheep farmer in a sea of men, dairy farmers. I didn't so, even think about that until you mentioned, it, but that's so true. In wow. the seven, in the seventies. Wow. Yeah. She could not, she needed to rent a truck. She couldn't do it. They wouldn't let her. She, she brought my father in her divorced husband, my room divorced husband, because they wouldn't rent her the truck. And another quick fun story about my mom, just to give her, give you an idea. So every year they would have a farmer's dinner sponsored by the local feed store, Fritz's feed. So, and they only ever invited men to this, the farm, you know, the farmers, it was only men. And my mother said, well, I shop at Fritz's feed. He gets my money and I'm a farmer. So she crashed the party. That's amazing. She went. Oh, so, did, did so, she do anything to cause a scene? I mean, she walked just, in. Oh, that well, was the scene. Yeah. <laughs> and the interesting, my mother was an Italian woman, beautiful. So it was like, it was, it was a scene, right? I mean, I, I only know that I wasn't there. But what's interesting about that is that the next year, they started inviting the, the wives as well. She's a trailblazer. She was That's totally amazing. a trailblazer. So when I think about it, I'm, I think to myself, well, I don't have to crash any farmer's dinners. You know, we're, we're now in the 2020s. So it is different, but it wasn't that long ago. But we have so much of this historical training, like uh, if you use my mom as an example, like you don't belong here, you know, the imposter syndrome. What, what, are, what are you trying to do here? And, you know, because she was just a fiery Italian woman that was like, get out of my way. She just, she did that, but not all of us have that training. And so it, there's, there's a way in which we, we think we need to know more than we really need to know. We think we need to have more experience. And it's not true for all men, but very often men will, what do they say? Men will apply for a job they're 50% uh, qualified for, and women won't apply for a job if they're 100% qualified for it. I have heard them for, yeah. Yeah. So there's a way in which there's an expectation and a boldness and even with my husband, you know, he sat down and just started making calls. There was there was no question for him of it. So why do you think that is? Um, well, for him specifically, he's a very systems driven person. Like I can go back into my CRM and figure out the first day that he made calls, and you'll see that there's like 20 calls he made. He said he didn't even know anybody. He sat down to make them. But I, I think part of that also is. And, and this happens with sales a lot. We're so worried about what the person on the other end of the phone is going to think. I mean, it was way before Zoom. So it was like, you know, what are they going to think or that rejection? He doesn't have that. He's I'm sure he feels bad sometimes when people say no. But for him, it's more about the results. It's never personal. 
He's, he doesn't think of it as a, in a personal way. And we, and because a lot of the times that we're selling products that are ourselves, right? I'm a business coach, so I'm, I'm not selling makeup, I'm selling something. And, it, and so- Your you services. No, my yeah. services. So yeah. if you say no to me, you're saying no to me, when that's completely false. It's not why people are saying no to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, from what you're saying, and I mean, I completely agree with this, women have a difficult time separating their offers, their services from the product that it should be. I don't really know how to phrase that, Yeah, but they're not viewing it as, they're viewing it as an extension of themselves rather, instead of a separate entity, which it truly is. Because if somebody says, no, I can't afford to work with you, that doesn't mean anything about them as a person. It just means that they do not have the money in their bank account to work with you right now. Right. Or, I mean, why does anybody buy anything? Because you're solving a problem for them. Correct. <clears throat> and so if you, if your service doesn't solve their problem in the way that they want it to be solved, because it probably can solve their problem, but in the way that they've decided or that they've, you know, for me, sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll, uh, I do business strategy sessions to get to know people and they'll say this sounds this great i'll let you know and then they go and talk to other coaches and then i say hey you know don't you want to come and coach with me and they're like well i found someone else so that yeah people are looking at options and if if i was the only option they'd be okay but there were other options so they went with those but if i sit around all day going oh one more person who didn't like my coaching because there are so many people out there There, I, I come from a space of abundance. So I believe there, there's plenty of people for everyone and there's coaches for everyone. And so we really want to, if you can, if you can live in that space, then you, then you're not attached and you don't make it personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, the funny thing is that I, it's taken me a while to work on that abundance mentality because I grew up with a lack and scarcity mentality. So it is something that I work on literally every single day. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I've noticed that, I mean, as of the time of this recording, the clients who have signed up to work with me recently, like in the past couple of weeks, were people that I had never heard of, I had never met before. So it's interesting if I would have stayed in that lack mentality and think that, okay, the only people who are going to come to work with me are people that I have had direct conversations with. These people would never have come out of the woodwork like they have, right? (laughs) So- I also think that has to do with more energetics as well and like literally mm-hmm. magnetizing people to you, but that's a Absolutely. whole other conversation. <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> um, I I would love to dive into what your business, I guess, has looked like over the past, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, a couple of decades, working with your husband. So what were those dynamics like in the beginning? How have they evolved to where they're at now? Like, do you have separate working hours? Do you have separate working spaces? What does that tangibly look like in your relationship? Yeah. Well, at first it looked like, as I described, he was selling the CRM system. He was on the phone selling and I was the one implementing it. But it turned out that John is actually more interested in the technology than I was. For me, the the oomph has always been, excuse me, it's always been the the transformation that it caused people. You know, we don't think of it very much now, but in the 90s, it was extremely transformative for people when the internet was really 
starting to be such a people didn't have email like literally people didn't have email um they did they, they had paper everywhere and so we were getting them into these systems and so there's with technology there's always the personal part but there's also the technology back end so he got, you know over time the software that we sell that he now sells i don't sell it anymore myself but it's called maximizer it's a crm software and it it is uh has got also matured and also gotten more complicated so he veered more towards the technology i veered more towards the personal side he veered more towards tech support and the sales aspect, whereas I was going and doing trainings and working with people on their processes. And around actually the same time that we met, the reason that I attribute to that I even met John and married him is because I did some personal development trainings. And that's actually how I met him. And I always really enjoyed that work. I always enjoyed like transformation and the, the personal development side of I just was applying in business in an abundance mindset. So I developed a curriculum of creating the steps to create an abundant business. And I started giving webinars and doing things. And I actually had a whole weekend workshop that I did pre-COVID. And so I wasn't really focused on businesses. I was just saying, this is an, a mindset that everyone can benefit from. I loved training. I loved being in front of groups. I loved bringing the communities together. It was a beautiful experience. And I started like drifting away from the technology. However, John and I were very entwined in our business. You know, he did the accounting, I did the marketing. We had did HR, you know, we had employees. It was, it was a very much entwined. But I started to get dissatisfied with it. And I just was bored. I was doing the same trainings all the time. And it just was too much. And I had the in the back of my mind was the idea that my parents got divorced because my mother wanted to do something authentic to her. And I did not want to get divorced at all. I have a lot of divorce and my family, aunts, uncles, cousins, even my um, closer immediate family members. And I was, I did not want to create that. So I was putting aside my authentic desires to do more of this because he didn't really have an interest in doing just business coaching by itself. And there was a time period where I had to be willing to say, I'm going to keep my relationship, but sh shift away from this entwinement that we had in our business. And it took me a couple years, like two or three years, like I sort of slowly moved to doing more of the business, getting more clients, et cetera. And we are, we live in New York city. We have a townhouse and the, and the ground floor is our office. So he's always had his own room. I've always had my own room. Uh, so, but it, it was very scary for a while because I didn't, I was really afraid um, that I would damage our relationship by pulling apart. And you know, I would say the happy ending to the story is that we now both operate separately in terms of who we're pursuing. My, my clients are no longer his clients. His clients are not my clients, but we still work together. I still say I'm in business with my husband. We still do the accounting together. We still set goals together. We hire our employees together. We do all of that together. And um, now I'm doing this full time.
Yeah, that's amazing. So I've heard from other people who work with their partners that they have, they set really firm boundaries so that they have their relationship time and then they have their business time. So for example, I know some people who cut off business talking at like 7 p.m. So after 7 p.m. it is family time. There is no business talking. We they also have um, specific days during the week where they have meetings and during those business meetings, they cannot talk about anything personal. Do you have anything like that set up in your business? Um, I envy those people. I, <laughs> I can't, can't say that I do. We did learn that what, what I, here, here's just for example, if I have something that I know that I want an answer for, but not immediately, I will email my husband. And okay. I, you know, you can delay the delivery. So I delay yeah. it to go after five o'clock because my husband is very, um, I don't know if you know the Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. Do you ever read that book? Mm-mm. It's a, it's an awesome book. She's a, she's got other books that are more well-known, but the tendency is how you are with expectations of you. And my husband is what they call an upholder, which means as you ask him to do something, he will do it which is why I sometimes will have to monitor my requests because if I ask him at two o'clock in the afternoon to do something that doesn't need to be done at two o'clock in the afternoon, he will want to do it, but then he'll push back on it. That the biggest clashes we have in our business is when he's super focused. He doesn't have time to talk to me. He does not go, Oh, can I talk to you later, honey? He doesn't do that. He's like, I can't talk right now. Thank you. I give you back that energy. And I'm so, so I will email him anything I need that's not urgent and deliver it afterwards. But we live and work in the same place. So it's very easy to blend it. He quits earlier than I do, though. Yeah. Well, at least you have your office, you said, on the basement level. So it's not like you're both working out of your kitchen or your living room. No, we, we definitely have it all very separated. Yeah. Good. That's true. Do you have any, any advice for somebody who is potentially wanting to go into business with their partner? Like, is there anything that they should do to prepare for it ahead of time? Any steps that they should take? I don't know if you can think of anything or if you remember, but I would love well, to know. One thing I would say, you know, it seems a little trite, but read that book called The Four Tendencies because... I learned that book really helped my marriage because an upholder says he's going to do, he or she's going to do something and then does it. But an upholder also wants the other people around him to do that. Okay. So I feel like that would be me. That, that sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to read that book. We'll put that in the show notes too. Um, Then there are three other types. One is a questioner. That's what I am. I'm a questioner. A questioner will do it. I certainly do things that people expect of me, but I want to, I want to know why I don't want to just do it. And if I have a reason to question it, I will. That drives him absolutely crazy. He comes in, he'll say, you need to call Verizon to blah, 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 whatever it is. And I'll say, why do I need to do that now? Instead of, okay, honey, I'll do that. And didn't do so if I don't do if I don't do something that he thinks I should have done by now he gets upset about it and he does not like to be questioned but the, I I'm a questioner so I don't want to do something I don't have to do drives him crazy then there's an obliger an obliger is somebody who mostly will do it because they told 
someone else, they would do it. This is an example of ways that I help people as a coach. They want someone to be accountable to. Upholders typically don't need that as much, but an obliger does need that. So a lot of a lot of my clients end up being obligers. And then there's the rebel, and the rebel is either going to do it or not do it, and they're just going to. Sometimes rebels don't even do what they want to do because they're like, "You can't make me. You can't make me do it." So to go back to your question, I think the and reading that is helpful because it helped me to understand. What are his expectations in the work world and what are mine? And uh, the other thing is we did set up a meeting. Like I schedule it with him when I need to talk to him about something, when I need to get something done. And he had a lot of resistance to doing marketing because he just was sort of more of a sales guy. And I so I just started putting it in his schedule. Like we're going to talk about your website on Wednesday at noon. And because he's an upholder, he showed up to the Wednesday meeting, you know, and uh, but he other than that, you know, he's just not going to he's not going to be paying attention. And that's hard because I want him to pay attention. Yeah, I really want to read that book now because I feel like I am definitely the what was the first one that you said? The upholder, the upholder. Yes, that is me. And my husband is definitely the questioner from (laughs) what you said. And sometimes I'm a rebel. So I feel like I'm a mix of all of these. So I definitely- Yeah, we, we all have a little bit of it, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I just did a masterclass today about procrastination and I've been procrastinating calling Verizon, which is why I brought that up as a thing that he said I should do. And there, I, the other day I went in and I said, can you help me do this? You know, it was the stupid. And he just stared at me like, just do it. That's his response was just do it. I was like, yeah, but I have so many questions. He's like- just do it. Just call up Verizon and ask them the question. And I, and then I didn't do it, but because I told publicly in an email that I'd been procrastinating, you know, it's ironic to procrastinate something right before you're going to do a masterclass about procrastination. So, uh, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And that was helpful. Like from an obliger standpoint that I, I publicly announced to people that I would do it. And I, I didn't get the whole thing done, but I did call Verizon before the class because I was too embarrassed to show up not having done it. Right. <laughs> I mean, making any kinds of those phone calls are never fun. I think everybody procrastinates them. So That's you're not true. alone there. Um, I actually have a fun question for you. So I don't know, fun, a fun fact that you shared, which was you play the ukulele and you organize a bluegrass group. Can you share more about that? That's just so unique. Yeah, I do. I would love to. Yes. Well, I'm a singer, been a singer for a long time. I skipped the part of my story where I went from college to New York because I wanted to be a musician, uh, not knowing any idea, having any idea on how to do that. Another example of where a coach would have come in handy. It's all part of the journey. Uh, And I never, I sang, but I never played any, I played the piano a little bit, but I always wanted to learn how to play the guitar. And so I, one more thing that I just had an idea that I was too hard and my fingers would hurt when I would do it. And and then I just got introduced to this bluegrass, a a friend of mine played bluegrass. The way bluegrass jams work is you can just go, they're open for the most part, they're open. And then you can, you take turns. There's a lot of turn taking. It's not performance-based, it's really community-based. So I started going to these bluegrass jams with her and made some friends and then everybody kept encouraging me why don't you try the guitar why don't you try the guitar 
and I went to a bluegrass festival. There's one that happens once a year in the Catskills. And I watched a banjo player on stage, but he was playing the banjo in a very strange way. He was kind of putting his hand over the fret instead of around. And I looked on the jumbotron, I could see he actually didn't have any fingers. He was playing the banjo with no fingers. How? Uh, you gotta look How? it up, banjo player, no fingers. He's actually incredibly good. I mean, he had like a deformed hand, uh, and, you know, was, I think he was born with that. Always mm -hmm. wanted to learn how to play the banjo, figured it out. And I sat there in that moment and I said, Liz, you have fingers. I think you can learn how to play. Oh, right, right. Like, and at the same time, a friend of mine, you know how you said, you know, like it feels like it comes out of the woodwork, but it's not. It all just came together. And my friend said, you should just play the ukulele. It's so easy. And he showed me how to play it. And it turns out it is super easy. So then I brought my ukulele to the bluegrass jam, which is a little bit frowned upon, like, ukuleles don't come, you know, because it's all about mandolins. And I just didn't care. I was just like, you know what? I'm enjoying myself and now I can play. So I don't just have to sit there. And I actually got better and better and better. And now I play baritone ukulele, which is a bigger instrument that's more like a guitar. It sounds like a guitar. And people, now people totally accept it. I just showed up. And of course I couldn't resist. I had to organize my own jams. And through the pandemic, it was a little bit challenging because we couldn't get together. So it is so much fun. It's such a joy in my life. My my plan is we I own an RV, which I bought last year. I'm going to travel around the country, going to really cool places, music festivals and bring my ukulele and play bluegrass all around. That's 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 the future vision. That is so fun. Oh, my gosh. I love that. that that's that's so fun. I I would love to find something like that to do for myself. I just I just don't know what that is for me. I don't want to play ukulele. I'm terrible at singing. Nobody wants to hear me sing. But I, I love that something that you can just hop on the road and do anywhere. That just sounds so fun to me. Um, that's so great. So first of all, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story taking us kind of behind the scenes of what it looks like to work with a partner. I know that a lot of people have that dream of quote unquote, retiring their spouse and bringing them into their business to work with them. So it's always refreshing to hear somebody actually doing it and doing it successfully and having a marriage that stays intact throughout the process, which is, I think a very big accomplishment. So congratulations for that alone. Um, but where is the best place for people to connect with you if they want to either work with you or find out where you're playing bluegrass next so they can come watch <laughs> you? Right. So my website is lizwolfcoaching.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Uh, that's wolf with an E. And by the way, if you didn't get the joke, last name Wolf, grew up on a sheep farm. I did not get that until, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Wolf's the name, sheep's the game. That was our tagline. That's that's a great tagline. That's great. <laughs> so um, anyway, LizWolfCoaching.com, the contact page there. Uh, you can certainly reach out to me there, Liz at LizWolfCoaching.com. But there's a link there to sign up for a, a free business strategy session if you are wanting to just speak business with me or find out if if coaching is for you and any other thing you want to ask me that we didn't get answered on this podcast, I would be very happy to speak with you. I would love to. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And yes, like she said, we will link all of those in the show notes for easy access. So thank you again for being here. Yeah, thank you very much. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Behind Their Business podcast with me, Steph Blake of The Blake Collective, which is a female-led company focused on helping online entrepreneurs start and scale their own businesses. If you or someone you know would make a great guest for the show, we would love to interview you. Visit our website at behindtheirbusiness.com to submit a short application and learn more about the show and how you can support our mission. If you enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share it with a friend or a loved one too. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you again for listening to the Behind Their Business podcast.